Tampa Bay is victorious. They are on top of the world. Would you agree? No, oh, well, obviously. They just won the Stanley Cup, obviously. <laughs> this is On The Rise Podcast, Season 2. Listen now on all major platforms as well as midtownradio.ca weekends at 10 a.m. Welcome your host, Sam Donzik and Evan Brown. Welcome to episode 16 of the On The Rise Podcast. It's hot out of the oven. The Tampa Bay Lightning have won their second franchise Stanley Cup over the Dallas Stars in six games. Now, there's been a lot of debate, or as well, we talked about as well. Victor Hedman got the Conn Smythe Trophy. Uh, did he deserve it? That's kind of the first thing I want to talk about. And yeah, we'll get so into the series then as well. The I was going to say, like, the series, game six was such a dominant performance. That, like, it, it was such a... It was almost Tampa took a page out of Dallas and every other opponent they've had previous this book where they just literally went up two goals and then just shut it down, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but it was just all around dominant performance. And in my mind, like Victor Hedman got the con Smythe. And yes, one could argue, okay, he has been the most important. He didn't have some of the most points. I don't know if he was second I think, I think or third. Most, I think he was led all defensemen in goals and led yes. all defensemen in yes. goals. It was like he 10 have, goals or something like that I was throughout thinking, the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, he's... An, he is like the definition of an offensive defenseman. He mm-hmm. d- he deserves to get some sort of award for that. But at the same time, looking at this, if you go back and look at their two losses in the series in game two, no, game one and game five. Yes, game one and game five. Yeah, game one and game five is yeah. When um, yeah. Victor Hedman had terrible performances, and especially in uh, game five, I think he was a minus three or something like that. He was on on the ice for a ton of different goals, and overall didn't have a great defensive performance, even though, yes, he is a very offensive defenseman, and that's great, but at the same time, he is also supposed to do his defined role, which is defend at the same time, and usually he is a good he is good at that, and the other argument is, yes, Conn Smythe is, uh, could be considered for the entire playoffs, in which case, yes, he did have a good all-around playoffs, but in games where they lost, he clearly didn't uh, when he fell off, the team fell off clearly in my mind. And when he is on the ice and has a negative three, that really tells tells you something overall. In my mind, if you look at the play of a Kucherov in this series, for example, who had a bunch of different points, or in my mind, the real person who should have deserved the Conn Smythe, Braden Point. Braden Point had an outstanding series, scored a, scored some incredible goals. Uh, one could argue as well, goaltender deserves a bit more credit. Vasilevsky was okay. He wasn't like... He, he had world some beating. he had some rough games in between in the whole yeah. in the whole playoffs. He, he wasn't world beating in my mind, so I don't think he should have got cons. My th- ultimately, I think Kucherov, like even Sergeyev, had a really good series. Uh, Tampa had a lot of good players in the series, but uh, Hedman, in my mind, when the Tampa Bay Lightning lost their games, had bad bad games, and even the most important player in a run like that will step up even when the team is losing to try to bring them back into the game and when you're a negative three you're hurting your team more than you're helping your team um and obviously that doesn't that's not the only stat that one could mention but that negative three the fact that he was on the ice for he, three you know, he, goals in he that did game, have a lot of long shifts i remember because there was when too. i was watching some of the games as well they were pointing out they had like a little bar and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. And Whenever, they were like headman yeah. shift, and it was like count. It was like an over a minute long. And in the, I think he had like a two minute shift at one point. In it's the just too long. Crazy. Like at the average NHL shift is maybe like what thirty to forty, like forty five seconds. Oh yeah, forty five seconds. Oh, you're 100%. on, and it's crazy because it's like you know when like obviously 
compared to like that, compared to that to like minor hockey, you'd have like longer shifts. Like, but this is the NHL. You don't have long shifts. You don't. You're not on the ice for a minute and a half like minor hockey. This is the NHL. You have short thirty to forty-five second shifts, and I would totally agree with you. I think Hedman. I can see why he won. He did. Ha- he he was a really good um, overall player, and had the consequence just is the most valuable player in the playoffs, right? Trackly, pretty it's, much. It's yes. pretty much yeah. It's pretty much the most valuable to, to the team that wins. To the team, obviously yeah. that wins. It's not to the team like oh yeah, he's the most valuable to the team that lost. Obviously that makes sense. So in my mind, Hedman didn't really deserve. I can see why he won it. He did you know lead the goals and the defensemen. But like you said as well, whenever your team's losing, the MVP of the playoffs is supposed to rally your troops or at least help try to build the comeback in some way, not just shut down defensively and have like as well. The plus minus is minus three is a big thing, like the plus minus being minus three on the ice. Um, The long shifts, just knowing the leadership, having the leadership to be able to take short shifts when knowing when to come on and when to go off and knowing when to be able to get off. And sometimes, you know, he might have been stuck on. Sometimes it was sloppy play from the whole team that forced icings and then he had to stay on, which then forced longer shifts. You can argue that point as well. But Still being the defenseman, you are at the backbone of that defense. You can easily make a play, you know, chip it out, bounce it off the board, do something, try to get it off a player, just get it out without icing it. You know, think of a better way to get think of a better way to get out of your zone instead of just icing it. So there's clear points of why it was all Braden Point played really well throughout the playoffs and especially the series. Kucherov as well could be potentially uh, for the con Smythe. Vasilevsky for me. I think he would have to have he would have to be really good. Like he'd have to be standout. Yeah. Really had some good games, but he just this like throughout the whole playoffs. If you look throughout the playoffs, he had some shaky games. He had he some did. shaky games 100%. where it just he just didn't look like himself, and that's kind of where it looked to me is like yeah maybe he doesn't deserve it. But. And I think as well for Victor Hedman in particular, you can see why the media members voted for him because he is I believe the longest tenured uh, Tampa Bay Lightning player. If not, I think that's Stamkos. But obviously, you can't win a Conn Smythe for playing two minutes and forty five seconds. Yes, he did score a goal. That's great. So his efficiency ratings are out like off the charts. Yeah, off the charts. But, but again, <laughs> then again, he time, didn't play in. He barely played in the series and yeah. played hurt. Obviously, throughout the playoffs, uh, even. As well well you barely ought to play right yeah. but um overall i think hedman yes has had the most dedication to this franchise and yes has had like he's been a part of everything with this team he is the tampa bay lightning in a sense between him and stamkos they have been with this team for ages and yep. ages so in a sense yes he does deserve some sort of thing because he has been like he has been the mvp over the years for the team but for the awards definition, I think the media members should have voted. And I think that's... What, sorry, just to go back for a second. I think that's why the media members mo- voted for him to win it's the because, Consumite. It's because of his loyalty to it's the team? It's because of the loyalty to the team. And he like they almost picked like the most Tampa Bay Lightning, Tampa Bay Lightning player, like yeah. in a sense, right? They picked the most important player to the franchise rather than the player that did the best in that in the playoffs. Yeah. And I think that, in my mind, mm-hmm. should have been Braden Point because even though he hasn't been tenured as long, he had an outstanding performance. He had outstanding performances, outstanding goals, put up a ton of points, uh, ironically. Uh, and yeah, overall, I think he deserved it uh, more, in my opinion, but I can see how Hedman would have won it over him instead. Definitely. Already moving on into some other news. Doc Rivers and the Clip, the Los Angeles Clippers have parted ways. Now, there's been other stories as well that it's it's unclear if he was parted ways, if he was fired. But we're going to go with parted ways because that's what we know as of right now. Is this a good move for the Clippers releasing Doc Rivers from the team, not letting him be able to coach Kawhi Leonard and Paul George anymore? 
I mean, I can see where they're coming from. Uh, if you're the Clippers organization, you look at the time he spent with the team, a lot of second round exits, a lot of blown through one leads and three. Exactly. I think three. Exactly. Three. Um, and I think like you look at that and you say, OK, he doesn't have a great track record when it comes to the playoffs. And I mean, when they're looking at the guys to replace him, I think it was Ty Lue is one of them. And I can't remember who I saw was the second one they were looking at. Um, but they were looking at obviously a different uh, bunch of GMs, and I actually I can't remember who the tweet was from, but I saw a tweet that was like um, uh, one out of one uh, Kawhi's recommend nurses over doctors, <laughs> which I thought that was hilarious. That, that's a funny, um, but that's a funny joke. Um, or a, over, a funny pun, actually. Yes, it is. But uh, overall, I think Doc Rivers has spent a lot of time with the Clippers, and I mean, if you if you're the organization, you see his track record, and you look at that and say, okay. Clearly, this hasn't been working. You've been getting us to a certain point, and that was the case with Dwayne Casey with the Raptors. You got him to the certain point, but clearly something needed to change to get them over the hump. He couldn't handle these players at the time. Yep. So uh, even though he could be a Coach of the Year candidate, like Dwayne Casey was the year before he got fired from the Raptors, um, Doc I think, Rivers... I think he won that year as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's he, what I'm saying. Yeah, he, he won, won Coach of the Year that year, and then they immediately let him go, and people were questioning, why would you let go of the Coach of the Year? Well... Because that's because he couldn't get them over the hump. Yes, they had an outstanding season, but that's the regular season. He had a exactly that's the regular season, and he had a track record of getting them to the playoffs, getting them a good position, but then ultimately not being able to get past LeBron in the second round. <laughs> similarly, <laughs> similarly to how the uh, Doc Rivers has had to deal with the Clippers and the Lakers, obviously. So in my mind, whoever they hire, I think is going to have like an almost a different sort of uh, like a, almost a separate play style to Doc Rivers, very different, just to kind of switch it up and and then almost go with the same effect the Raptors had with Nick Nurse. 100% I agree. I think Doc Rivers is very similar to, he's at the same point in his career as Dwayne Casey was. You know, he had a great regular season, great track record, brought the like brought the Clippers up from, uh, like, obviously, a like to become uh, multiple, like, winning seasons, have multiple winning seasons for a number of years into the playoffs. But again, second round exit is not good enough for the Clippers. At this point, they realize that they've blown now three 3-1 leads. And you have the stars around. Like, if you look at all the stars that Doc Rivers, he's had, he had prime uh, Blake Griffin, prime DeAndre Dorn, prime CP3. They couldn't get anything. Now, granted, yep. if you like, that's when you three those those three stars. Yeah, and you can't. The essence of Lob City was so incredible. But it's the coaching there. That's the coaching. Yeah. That's the co- like. That's where the coaching makes the difference. Because if you have a guy like Nick Nurse or Tyron Lue or maybe even Frank Vogel, even like someone who is more dynamic, because these coaches, like similar to maybe I'm not gonna say Mike D'Antoni or maybe a Greg Pop, like obviously Greg Popovich, a legendary coach, but very set in his ways. Yeah. And to a certain point as well, like he had some great success with Tim Duncan and Manny Ginobili and Tony Parker as well. You look, look at these and as and well young, y- Kawhi. young Kawhi Leonard. But to a certain point, these coaches are so set in their ways, and they're very they don't adapt well to the new game and to the no. way that like Nick Nurse is an adaptive head coach. Even he makes in game adjustments, he makes mid season adjustments. He like that's when in game adjustments where he'll be like, okay, this is this is not working. Let's do next game. Let's try this. Let's try this. You know, try to make what's what works for the team. And I think Doc Rivers just didn't do that enough. He and yeah. obviously there was a lot of like there was questionable chemistry issues as well brought up as well between uh, yeah like, there was a lot getting, of stories after getting the as chemistry well. together yeah. because it's a fairly new team. And I think if with the right coach in the into the Clippers organization, similar to a Tyron Lue or Nick Nurse or something like that as well, who's Nick very Nurse is not going to the Clippers. Nick, Nick no. Nurse has gone to the Clippers. If he goes <laughs> no. to the Clippers and wins a title, then maybe I would be I would be happy for Nick Nurse. But then I'm like, man, why? He's not leave? Leave. Wait, no, he would not. He leave. just signed a five year extension. Yeah, that's there's true. Yeah, no not, way. That's there's happening. no way. Exactly. But my point is exactly that 
if that does, like, if a coach similar to Nick Nurse or Tyron Lee goes to the Clippers and is able to change the um, the culture in LA and try to say, okay, you know what? We're going to have really good regular seasons, but we're actually going to go deep into the playoffs. We're actually yeah. not going to blow a 3 1. Like, see, how, like uh, that's my question. You have so many good players. And, and he then did again, that three, two or three, three times. Three like, times. That's that's ridiculous. It just to doesn't, me. like, that's what I mean. That's where it comes down to the coaching. Obviously, there's a whole debate of, okay, you can't fire the coach. You you're, you can't fire the team. you got to fire the coach. But this is where the firing the coach actually makes sense to me because he has, he's had great regular seasons, but can't not getting through to the second round, either losing to Jamal Murray, who is an uprising star, but still the Denver Nuggets, who actually would usually go out, who would usually be similar to have a great regular season and go out in the second round. They usually kind of have that as their MO, but they're changing <laughs> it this year, which is good for them. But now it's like the Clippers are becoming a part of, similar to the Nuggets where they have good regular season, but then again, multiple uh, second round exits. That's kind of my thought on that. My other thing as well, it's almost flipping the script. So in my, um, I'm asking, wondering what like the next move is for Doc Rivers and almost a sense, what would be the next Pistons? Because the Pistons, obviously, after the Raptors got rid of Dwayne Casey, picked him up and sort of never really changed. Because that's what happens when you hire an old head coach that doesn't really change their ways. Nothing changes with your team. So, yeah, yeah, that's and that's what I mean. why the Pistons yeah. haven't been great. And ironically, mm-hmm. it's been with Blake Griffin. But so <laughs> that's in, true as well. In my yeah, mind, yeah. what team is going to be the next Doc Rivers candidate for head coach, and what team is going to be the next Pistons? And honestly, I would look at a team that is very like below average but also isn't looking like isn't looking to get better anytime soon because of how they've set up or get any worse and what team is that i'm going with the washington wizards interesting uh just because they're looking for a culture change soon uh obviously with bradley beal john wall talks about bradley beal being maybe moved in the offseason who knows the status of john wall when he cuts back from injury Mm -hmm. they haven't really they've kind of stagnated in a sense i wonder if they go after a new head coach try to quote unquote spice it up in there but not really have anything happen or something like that or who knows maybe even the knicks will try to take a flyer on him (laughs) who knows what the knicks are going to do at this point yeah that's Uh, true in which case I don't know what the Knicks are going to do with that. I think they might stagnate too. But it's going to be interesting to see uh, what team kind of takes that step forward and says, okay, Doc Rivers, we know you have the experience. Try to get us to a better place, even though I don't think he would have that much of an impact. All right. We'll have to see what happens and see where Doc Rivers might end up. This wraps up this segment of Hot Out of the Oven, recapping the Tampa Bay Lightning winning their second franchise Stanley Cup over the Dallas Stars and Doc Rivers and the Clippers parting ways. Moving on over into the next segment for today's episode, it's the NFL Week Recap. Uh, This week is Week 3, obviously, we're covering. The first game that we're covering is the Seahawks versus Cowboys. Now, it was a very interesting game. We both said it was going to be a shootout. It was a shootout. Russell seemed out dual Dak there in the end. Um, The Seahawks Eh. and the... Eh, and continue. But no, eh. no, no. Go on. What's your point? What do you want to say? There wasn't that. I don't. I wouldn't put it as outdual. They were pretty on par, and with what they were given throughout the game, it was kind of a. It was an even matchup in my mind. But continue, continue. Dak Prescott did have an interception and a fumble as well. Yes, I realized that, but it was also not an outdueling in my opinion. But no. continue. Okay, okay. We can we can debate about that. Uh, the Seahawks and the defense. The Seahawks and the Cowboys. Both both their defense is a concern, definitely for me, considering the points they left up and the plays they gave up as well. Uh, um, so what really is the, what can really, what is wrong with Dallas as well? I just want to point out, like, how did they, because obviously they clearly have some issues in their secondary and I know they have some injuries as well. Uh, what is yeah. really, what is, what seems to be Dallas? Cause they can score points. It seems like, you know, putting up 30 once 31 against Seattle and 40 against Atlanta. 
Um, in my mind, it's not the it's not obviously the offense because of how well they're scoring. And honestly, it's just the amount of injuries we've had on the defense. We have had so many different injuries, and it's just been piling up. Like if, this this Cowboys Seahawks game had a lot of injuries between the two teams combined. 100%. But um, it's been tough on the Cowboys defense the past few uh, past few games. They've been losing a lot of key pieces, and uh, I mean. Uh, on the offense later in this game, Amari uh, in this game in specific, Amari Cooper had a terrible game, but uh, Michael Gallup kind of made up for that, so it was kind of balanced out in the end. But honestly, the defense just has had too many injuries, and it's too low right now, and they can't really like change the focus uh, as far as I can see. And I think either that means they need to step up with the defensive coordinator. I don't know exactly who that is. Um, either they need to figure out a new game plan or something like that because clearly it is not working right now. Mm-hmm. And the offense, in my mind, isn't doing anything bad. I mean, the offensive line looks strong, and Michael Gallup looks amazing, and C.D. Lamb has looked really good uh, coming out of, uh, coming out as a rookie. I can't remember where he came He's from. He's Oklahoma, I believe. I think it's it, Oklahoma. It was Oklahoma, yeah. Um, no, yeah, he looks really strong as well. And I think and, the, biggest thing, yeah. the biggest thing that's wrong with Dallas is their secondary. The injuries are hurting them, for sure. The, hurt, yes, the injuries yes. are massive. Uh, the Seahawks as well did have some injuries, not as many as the injuries as the Cowboys. And obviously the biggest thing as well, it was on the offensive side of the Cowboys injuries. It was that they didn't have Tyron. I think it was Tyron Smith that was in starting or was it? It was a notable offensive tackle that maybe, did not play. Maybe. I think it was Tyron Smith that was possibly not playing. He was out. And that was one issue as well that possibly may have led to certain turnovers, certain issues. And is really, yeah, like the offense isn't too bad. Uh, they they scored thirty one. Like they're scoring points, and but the problem Dak has looked strong all season. He, I don't he's think look, no, he's no, looked strong. He's looked strong. With the offense in my mind right now. The, like Ezekiel Elliott is getting his touches. He's doing his thing. Michael Gallup is doing amazingly right now, stepping up for an Amari Cooper that's looking a bit older than he should be right now, but also just not looking overall like what we're used to seeing out of mm-hmm. Amari Cooper. But then again, the young presence of CD Lamb is kind of making up for that. So in my mind, the offense isn't the problem. Dak's doing his thing. Everything is clicking there. It's just really the defense in the secondary need to really step up in my opinion so now i want to go back to the point about like the point that i think at least that i think is that russell outdueled dak near the end because Ru- dak did have a chance no dak had a chance to win the game with two minutes to go and through all three timeouts but despite of dak's issues he didn't he wasn't able to that's that's where a sense of that he outdueled them i don't know if okay. you want to say anything out saying back to him because as well because you did say as well dak has done well all season but i was watching near the end he had a couple throws where it was a little off it was like if you look at the last three throws that the that on the offensive drive there was the first one that was a little bit behind the receiver then there, there was, was the, the there was the one that I noticed in particular that really annoyed me a little bit, but it was just kind of a fluky. It was the um, it was the one the one he was doing um, where it was like he was just out of the out of reach of the one receiver because he was in undercover and he just wanted to get it to him over because he was wide open. But it was such a short little pass. It was such a dinky little throw because it, he was right. Uh, the receiver was right next to him, but he just couldn't get it to him. He almost he almost he overshot him by just like a few feet, and it was like really you couldn't have gotten that throw. And that one that one really annoyed me. But anyway, continue. continue. No, no, like as well, like. I'm not saying like obviously Russell Wilson is 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 a there's a difference between Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott in regards to the development. Russell Wilson has played a lot more years in the NFL. He's more developed than Dak, and Dak does look pro. Like he's a franchise quarterback. Oh, he's yeah. going to be there. He just needs a little bit more development in regards to his throw. And it, and again, again, you're into you're playing like in the point that I want to make as well is that you're playing Russell Wilson and you're playing the Seattle Seahawks offense that has been strong all season. You can't really get into a shootout. Like that's when you can't yeah. really get into like, cause they easily could have gone down. They easily could have scored, but then you go into overtime and then Russell Wilson. So it's like, you need to like the offense did all the best they could, but I think that really 
it was really the, just their defense that let them down. Honestly, I think that's I think that's the biggest thing. And there was one, there's one, there's one player in specific on Dallas that I've been watching that has slightly confused me because Greg Zerlion has been great at times this season, really stepping up, and at other times he missed like two out of four extra points in this game. Yeah, that like, was big. Now, granted, there was now granted. Obviously, there was one that was missed, one that was blocked, and yes. there's been a couple. But still, like it's but no, it's something you can't like. That's your one job as the kicker. Like yeah. as much pressure that it is, as much easy it is to make a kick. There's a lot of pressure, and it's like the one job that you have to do. Like just make the kick. And I know there's a lot of pressure on you, but it's like it's an extra point. Like make that it. one. That one. Th- those two points could have been crucial, and it was crucial down the. Down it was the crucial down the stretch, and because that. That could have been the difference between oh maybe we kick a field goal instead of go for the touchdown here because then we'll still be, like we'll be up more or like there were so many different factors there and it's it's tough because he's been clutch for us at certain points in the season where he's hit big field goals and I know he's going to be doing that down the stretch and I know he does that through he's done that throughout his career obviously he's just getting to Dallas at this point in his career but in my mind like you got to hit those extra points man those are crucial two points that that were left on the board and, you know, and yeah. to your point exactly if he had hit those two extra crucial points it would have been 20 it would i think it was the 30 to 24 now let's say they got a touchdown so now it's 31 30 then let's say near the end they're like then again they kicked that field goal where it would have been cuz it was 22 cuz they obviously it would have been then 30 it would have been 34 or no, I'm trying to think something like that. Yeah, there was also a two-point conversion attempt yeah. that I that Dak like the offense did nothing wrong. Like there was just like an inch the receiver missed out on getting to get to the get the extra two points. The mm-hmm. Seattle defense just barely stopped him there. Which I was kind of like, okay, well, what can you do on that? That's obviously not the offense's fault. That's not like that's not on Dak or something like no. that. That's literally just it's just yeah, it's just like, a football play as well. Um, and it's gonna be interesting to see what happens, but I do think honestly, the one thing that worries me as a Seahawks fan is their defense. Is like, yeah, yeah, the like they, for they scored, too, they they allowed great. thirty-one points. They allowed thirty points last week. They allowed they allowed twenty-five points in, against Atlanta of all teams. And now, now, granted, they're playing Miami next week, which should be a bit easier. But then again, you look down the schedule. Okay, they got to play the Rams twice. They got to play the card. They haven't played any divisional games yet. The Rams look good. The Cardinals look strong, and the 49ers they are heavily injured, but still somehow beat the Jets. But then again, or that's the Giants, yeah. So that that's the one that's game. The <laughs> that's the one game that I'm least worried about. But still, that's the one thing where I'm concerned about as a Seahawks fan. And looking at it's like, okay, Russell Wilson. Yes, he's amazing every week. But I'm not like he has so much pressure on him to score like five touchdowns a game because the defense is giving up so much. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think if they, if they were able to somewhat tighten the down to like only allow twenty points a game, then yeah. they can win a lot more. They can have a lot more stressless games as a team and Russell Wilson doesn't have to drop five touchdowns. He can have three or four, but it's like three touchdowns and maybe like one or two rushing touchdowns, you know? Yeah. They can score five. It can be like 35 to 20, you know, but at least it's less pressure off Russell Wilson. That's the one thing that I was noticing about the game. Moving on over to our second game, we got Saints versus Packers. It was a close one. I covered actually the, well, I predicted it was this. I picked it Packers by seven. So they did actually happen 37 to 30. Aaron Rodgers just outdoors outdueled uh Drew Brees there. It was really just an oversized match. Um but there was a one notice as well is that Alvin Kamara had a decent touch uh, a really long time. It was a fifty two yard touchdown. Man. I think so yeah. And there was a lot of missed tackles on the Packers defense. So that was yes. definitely a talking point as well. Really close game that went back and forth. What are your really ta- main takeaways from this Saints Packers game? 
main takeaways, Saints need Michael Thomas bad, and the Packers' defense re- like was not shining very well down, like especially on that play in specific. Like you said, just some bad, bad blocks. But um, the Saints really do need Michael Thomas, and it, he like the absence of him showed that Breeze is almost lost in a sense. Kamara did step up, like I said, he had to if they wanted to win this game, but. Clearly, the 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 missing presence there of Michael Thomas is really strong, and it really affected the Saints' play. No, 100%. Yeah, without Michael Thomas, they're really not the same team. Like, Drew Brees no. doesn't have the chemistry built to... And really, as well, they're not, like... They're not taking shots downfield, considering they don't have... Like, they have Emmanuel they Sanders. <laughs> they can't. They can't really... Because t- you don't have Michael Thomas, who's a big, dominant receiver, like, the, you know, like other teams have, like a Seahawks have a DK Metcalf. If, if Michael Thomas was healthy, they would be a different story. I think there would be a lot more different plays happening. Uh, and as well, you can't rely on uh, Alvin Kamara to just win you the game because that's no. a lot of pressure on a young running back to constantly deliver. Now, granted, he had he had a decent game. Um, but as well, the, the Saints defense just let up... Like, Packers... Now, as well, the Packers' defense allowed 30 points. They allowed 37 against Minnesota and allowed 20-plus, 25-plus or something like that against the Detroit Lions. So one of the talking points that for me is like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is hot. It's similar to the Seahawks situation where it's like Aaron Rodgers is scoring a lot of points and so are the Packers, but their defense is giving up a lot. They're they're in yeah. high-scoring shootout games. Like it was, I think it was 30 to 20. It was, I'm trying to if it was, it was 27-27. Then it was like 34, 27. Then it was 37 to 30. I think like, that, I think, like yeah, that. Was, I think yeah. they had like a last second, like, like a field goal late, which then put them up by seven. Of course, Drew Brees can't, you know, come back and make that final drive. So the Packers end up winning. They move to 3-0. and They're a top team as well. But I think this, like the Packers defense needs some work, just like the Seahawks defense. It's like you're giving up 30 points to, yes, a, a really good Saints team. You gave up 37 to the Minnesota. You know, you gave up a lot of points. And that's where going down when you face other teams like possibly the Chiefs or the Ravens in a like not saying obviously they're not gonna be they might play I don't know if they I don't think it's not gonna be play or not but like let's say they go down to the Super Bowl and they make it and your defense is there but it's like that's where you can't like, you can't go into a duel you can't enter into a duel against Patrick Holmes no you know that's no. me so you can't go into a shootout game with one of those teams no, no like and as much as Aaron Rodgers is a great offensive player he's not an offensive shootout player like Patrick Mahomes is and I think that's where the Packers need to improve the defense is the number one for me as well the Saints again just disappointing as well like you know they scored 30 points in offense but their defense is disappointing they're lacking there's missing tackles they're missing play it's just it's just all around not good for the Saints and I think they're now one and two now I think they're I now think so, yeah they're yeah. now dropped down to one and two for the first time since 2017 yeah, um, and yeah. the Packers are three and oh since they started I think it was I think they I think they've started 3-0 the last two seasons as well. I believe it was similar to... They had the same start to yeah. last season as well because yeah. they went 13-3. But that's kind of my main takeaways from that game. And now moving on to our final game, we got the Chiefs versus Ravens, which was an exciting game we had thought. We thought it would be much different, actually. We thought the Ravens' defense was going to step up. That clearly didn't happen. The Chiefs clearly just stepped up. Patrick Holmes out dominated the Ravens' defense. And Lamar Jackson can't really throw the football well. Like, he still can't... No. Like, he had 97 passing yards last night. He had a decent amount of rushing yards, but still not explosive. They had 158 rushing yards, and they just kind of stopped rushing the ball because I know we were talking about this last week. He's like, if the Chiefs can stop the run, then they can do that. But they didn't really stop the run. Like, they didn't, like they, they outdueled, like, the Chiefs defense didn't really stop the Ravens running game, but they just stopped running the ball. They just charted to yeah. mow. Because I think what happened is they they got down and they said, okay, now we got to start passing the ball. And that's the one weakness with the Ravens is as soon as they get down, 
they can't rely on the run game because running takes so long. You know, you got to be able to throw the ball deep downfield and quickly score like a Patrick Holmes, like a Russell Wilson can, like a other teams as well that can quickly throw the ball deep down the field to a deep threat receiver and do that. But they don't really have a lot of deep threat receivers. Like they have a lot of young speedy guys who are like a Tyreek Hill, like not like who is similar to Tyreek Hill. Like I think they have that number 12, like he's a young player. He's oh, super yeah, quick, super skinny. Anyways, it doesn't matter. The point that I'm trying to make is that they don't really have offensive players on the out on the outside, Lamar Jackson can throw the football, and Lamar Jackson still can't really throw the football. In my mind, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, like the chief, the Chiefs just dominated this game, contrary to what we thought was going to happen. But that's because, like like you said, the Ravens' defense wasn't really there. Mahomes just outdo like just outshone every single one uh, on the, like the entire Ravens team in my mind. Uh, and yeah, like you said, Lamar Lamar Jackson needs to learn how to throw the football downfield. Needs to get uh, better receivers in my mind as well to get to get the ball 100%. down downfield. And well, I like what the Ravens are doing, trying to be innovative, trying to get like a different style of. Football where it is a more run heavy style but like you said eats up a lot of clock and in the clutch time when you need to get down especially when you're trying to close out games if you need a deep deep downfield play if you don't have that even as an option or something like that in your playbook then it's tough to it's tough to just bring it out of nowhere and then try to go for it so it's a it's an interesting style from the ravens and it works if you can get up early and get up like uh, up uh, a few scores on a team but if it's if your defense doesn't hold up then as soon as you let in a few a few touchdowns then you're done for in my mind and that's and that's what really killed the ravens in this game in my mind and it's that that I want to bring up is now Lamar Jackson 0 3 versus the Chiefs like in his career and he's 21 and 1 versus every other team in the league so Tell me this. Do you think that Lamar Jackson will always be in the shadow Patrick Mahomes in the NFL? I, I do I do think so, and that's purely because uh, Mahomes is for for two reasons really. Um, I do think he'll be like al- always like the in the shadow of just because uh, Mahomes is, in my opinion, the better overall quarterback and has the 100%. has more assets like has more assets to his game than Lamar Jackson does. Lamar Jackson does have the run game ability and he does have a good uh, play style, but he doesn't have that downfield pass where Mahomes kind of has all three in my mind. He's he, yeah, Mahomes but, has, Mahomes has the arm strength and the really the the quarterback IQ as well. Yes, I think that's a big yes. thing as well. And the second thing as well is the fact now that Mahomes has that Super Bowl ring already, and then will is going to be looking for more and more throughout his career i think that's always going to be like okay he did it first he was he had it before lamar jackson he beat lamar jackson to get to the super bowl to then win it and i think that's really going to be uh one of the storylines as well is it's going to be it's going to come down to championships and it's going to be mahomes had that one that that one more from the very get-go i don't know how well the ravens are going to do in the future i don't know how well the chiefs are going to do in the future but they should be pretty neck and neck throughout the rest of both of these guys' career, mm-hmm. and I think it'll be tough for Lamar Jackson to kind of get out of, uh, get out of the shadow of Mahomes because Mahomes is more of a all-around quarterback that can throw the ball better, and really already has a leg up on him in terms of Super Bowl rings and uh, more clutch moments in my mind. Yeah, hundred percent. Like uh, Lamar Jackson, obviously going into his first playoff spurt. Flip, flip, for the first playoff start last season as well, and he lost it to, I believe, I want to say the Titans they lost to, actually. Maybe. Yeah, I think it was the Titans they Maybe. lost. I think it was the Titans they yeah. lost to. Yeah, yeah it was yeah because it was Derrick Henry had like that massive game. So yeah, they, they lost them. So I don't think they ended up playing the Chiefs, but they, they played them during the regular season. Well, it's already been confirmed that they're going to play again next season as well 
in Maryland and Maryland at the Baltimore Ravens Stadium. So that's going to be another interesting match going next year. But I do think that Lamar Jackson is always going to be in Patrick Mahomes' shadow. And the only way that he's going to get out of it is if he wins the Super Bowl within the next, like he's got to within within he's got to win one before Mahomes wins a second one. If Mahomes wins yeah. a second one yeah. before Mahomes can win one, but before Jackson can win one, that's where the shadow just becomes bigger because it's like Mahomes is clearly a better overall quarterback. And the pressure gets bigger. The, pr- the pressure gets bigger as well. He signed that big contract. He he's won an MVP. He obviously they both have won an MVP. Mahomes won it, or I mean Jackson won it at a younger age. Yes, he had that incredible season last season, regular season. Doesn't matter. You didn't make the playoffs. Mahomes came back from multiple ten point deficits. He's shown greater leadership in my mind as well. He's the, he's the better leader. Uh, a lot of teams, a lot of players on the team respect him for his great leadership. Lamar Jackson is still developing that. Obviously, he's going to come there. I think Lamar Jackson is going to be a great player in the league for years to come. But I always think that he will be in the in Mahomes' shadow unless he can win a championship before Mahomes win his, wins his second one. That's kind of my take. Alrighty, this wraps up this uh, week of NFL Week Recap. Recap Week 3 recap regarding the Seahawks, Cowboys, Saints, Packers, and Chiefs, Ravens. Moving on over into our final segment, we got playoff predictions. It's not only the NBA Finals, but it's the MLB playoffs as well starting, well, MLB playoffs starting tonight, and then the NBA Finals are starting Wednesday. First, obviously, we're going to focus on the Jays and Rays series. So who are your X-Factors for this series? Honestly, I think um, just uh, for the Jays in general, it's going to be uh, a bit more underrated players because we know like the importance of a Bichette and the Vladdy and obviously the starting pitchers. Hyunjin Ryu in Game 2 is going to be important and the bullpen is going to be important. But, well, I think one of the X factors has to be the Blue Jays' bullpen, especially in Game 1, which is going tonight as we're recording this, um, just because Matt Shoemaker is coming off injury. Yes, he is going to pitch, and yes, he's probably going to pitch as much as he can, but it probably won't be too deep into the ballgame. We'll need the bullpen to step up because... While it has been solid for most of the year, there have been some iffy moments. Um, But for the Jays' real X factor, I'm honestly going to go with bottom of the lineup, and I'm going to go with um, hmm. I'm going to go with Jonathan VR and honestly Alejandro Kirk. I think he's going to be a bit of an X factor in the series. He's going to be an underrated uh, underrated player from there. He's DHing in Game One, which goes tonight as we're recording this. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jonathan VR, I think he has. He's been in the league for a long time, and he has a bit of playoff experience. Not too much because he hasn't really gone too far into the playoffs, but um, just the veteran leadership, I think, is going to be is going to be important there. And to be honest, ever since he's got to the Jays, his defensive presence have been really important. I've loved his defensive play. Offense has been hit or miss, really. Um, pun intended. Um, <laughs> that's actually that's a really good pun. I just realized that hit or miss. Um, he's he's had. I think he's batting like maybe two twenty or something like that. He's oh, been getting. That's, he's been getting tough. on base every once in a while, but I mean his speed is a huge factor for that, yeah. and I think that's important. And Alejandro Kirk is going to be huge. I think he's going to have a massive series. I think just everything he's shown me and everything he's everything he's shown everybody since he's come up into the league has been that he is a amazing offensive player that doesn't have to hit for power. He can get on base. He gets a lot of doubles, gets a lot of singles, just starts the train rolling. He uh the one the one day uh the the Jays just beat up on the Yankees. He went four for four and like two innings in a row and they had that bat around inning. He started it back to back innings, just got on base and started the train rolling. Like he is a inspiring player and uh, even though he is such like it's funny because he's such a young player, he's still older than Vladdy. 
that we we sometimes forget how young Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is. He is still 21. He is still a very young player. Oh, he has a lot to go. So I think he's going to also be important in the series as well. Obviously. Um, what about the Rays though? Who who like who are your experts for the on the Rays side? side of things? It, it their offense has been. Uh, pretty good this year i mean uh kevin kiermeyer always kills the jays and that's one thing i'm a bit worried about especially playing at the trop because the jays never play well at the trop yeah um but as well you look at their like i feel like the rays pitching really has to step up you they already named their three starters they got uh snell in game one glasnow in game two charlie morton in game three blake snell at the start of the year, had a meh performance against the Jays, but also because he was coming off injury and didn't really look great at the start and didn't get a lot of innings. So we'll see how that goes tonight. Uh, Tyler Glasnow has been solid all series, uh, all season. That's going to be an interesting game too. I think that's going to be my key game of the series because versus Ryu, that is going to be a big pitcher's duel and that is going to be fun October baseball in my opinion just because I love those types of matchups. I know not a lot of people love pitcher's duels, but I love a good pitcher's duel. And then game three is going to be Taiwan Walker versus Charlie Morton. And that's going to be an interesting one because Taiwan Walker has looked decent for the Jays so far ever since they acquired him at the deadline yep. and he has pitched in deeper into ball games which is good as well uh, but every once in a while he gets a bit carried away and gives up some walks sometimes and leaves some guys on base um, so we'll have to keep that in mind and hopefully he can sh- uh, continue to shut them down but with Charlie Morton on the Rays side it's going to be interesting watching him in game three because He's been injured for most of this season. He started the year with the team, started out really well, but then had a bit of, I can't remember what exactly it was, but had a uh, big injury for a pitcher, especially at the start of the year and only came really back at the end of the year. And I I don't even know if he, I think he might've got one or maybe two starts and I don't know how well he will be doing at that point. So in my mind, if the Rays want to win this series, they're going to have to try to do it in two out of three games, uh, in two instead of the full three games, because Charlie Morton is really going to be a question mark. And yes, he is a important starter for this team. And yes, he should be getting the game three start, in my opinion. But at the same time, you have to wonder if he's fully healthy, ready for the playoffs, if he can go deeper into the game and what sort of his outing will look like. But then again, the Rays are used to having sort of bullpen days. Right. They, they really started that uh, started that trend when it comes to just having bullpen days and using a ton of different pitchers, ton of different stations, a uh, ton of different um, lineups and stuff like that. And I think they're, their versatility will also be a bit of an X factor in this series because we've seen them do so many different crazy lineups this season. Uh, they had an all lefty lineup at one point this season for like the first like the first time that's happened since like the 1900s. Like <laughs> the 1900s, really. It, wow. it, it is it is crazy what the stuff they've been doing, but they have the flexibility to do that, especially mm. in this weird season. So their versatility is going to be a factor overall. I have to go Jays, obviously, because yeah. I'm not going to bet about, bet against my team. But honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they lose game one tonight. I I mean, I'd be happy if they win, obviously, but yeah. I can understand if they do lose game one, And but I still would have confidence going into the rest of the series. Uh, I'm going Jays in the three because uh, Jays in three because it is going to be a three game series to for the first round of the playoffs. Now I just want to ask you like one thing as well. I I do think that uh, the Jays will win the series because obviously we're going to root them. We're not going to pick the Rays. Obviously, like who, who no would do that? Like, yeah, why would we do that? Like come on, I know I they're mean, good. Although team. although they are used to playing in front of no fans at the Trop, so they might have the advantage. They might have the advantage. But then that, again, every time we go to the Trop, they don't have any fans. So maybe yeah. maybe there is no advantage. That, I don't that's know. true. Maybe well, it's weird we'll this see. year because they're <laughs> technically I know they don't have a lot of fans but there is really no fans and it's weird no. because 
going into like usually October baseball is filled. Like now, like, granted as well, they're not going to be playing at the uh, Rogers Center where there'd be packed lots of Jays fans yelling, screaming. Or like it's well, I guess I guess they'd be yelling and screaming and creating that crowd noise for the Rays to have to deal with. And I think that's going to be a kind of an interesting aspect to these 2020 playoffs where you're going to be playing in different like stadiums and not having fans. And it's interesting. But for me as well, like all the X factors, I would definitely agree with you. In regards to who wins the series, I would say the Jays in three. But I want to ask you as well, because you mentioned as well, if the Rays win the series, they got to do it in two games. They got to win the first two. Do you think, now obviously, if the Rays win one, if if they win game one and they lose game two, can they win game three or are they just going to lose game three then? Like, cause you, cause you said as well with the pitcher, the pitcher problem possibly in game. Yeah, three. it's it's gonna be a bit of a toss up game three if they do split the first two. I honestly have more confidence in Taiwan Walker, who has played the full season and has gone through the motions, in my opinion, than in a potentially still injured Charlie Morton. So I would give the advantage to the Jays, but who knows? Charlie Morton is known to pull some games, uh, just randomly have a really, really good performance. And that's why he is such a good pitcher. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens, but game three, in my mind, if they split the first two is going to be a bit of a toss up. And if I'm the Rays, being the one seed going against an eight seed, I don't want that to be a toss up yeah. game. I want to win it in the first two. Definitely. We'll have to see what happens. I would move on into, uh, some more, more predictions. We got the NBA finals starting tomorrow night, Wednesday. It's the Lakers versus heat. Who are your X factors for each team? quickly in my mind i mean miami heat uh, i'm going with the same one i had in, in the celtic series andre Iguodala is going to have to be huge i think he's going to be a uh, big defensive presence big veteran presence going into these finals he's faced lebron before he knows what to expect yep. and i think he's going to bring a real veteran presence into that locker room and that's going to be a big important factor for the heat uh lakers i think it's going to have to be the play of their bench obviously you know lebron and anthony davis are going to step yep, up they're going like, to step up big they're not going to be x factors in my opinion x factor is going to be a guy like i mean Danny Green hasn't shot very well, but that would be helpful if he could step up. A guy like Kyle Kuzma is going to be big, uh, but ultimately it's going to be ultimately it's going to be the play of Ranjan Rondo. He's looked looked great ever since coming back off injury and playoff Rondo is activated. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's been playing great alongside LeBron, getting a bunch of assists, and if he keeps doing that, it's going to be tough for the Heat to win this series in my mind. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, for sure. And for me as well, my X factors for the Lakers. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head where you mentioned Danny Green. Danny Green because of kind of my X factor for the series along with the Lakers bench because obviously the Lakers starters are going to do well, but it really determines how well the Lakers can bench do, the Lakers bench can do against Miami's bench. And Miami's bench got a solid bench. You know, they got a really good bench compared to the Lakers. And really, it's going to come down to the benches and as well the top stars. But for the regards to the X Factors, definitely Danny Green is really going to have to step up because if he wants to win that second ring, notice, remember, he won last year again with the Raptors. Mm-hmm. He'll win back to back then, um, turning into the uh, Patrick Hall of the league. <laughs> Just. <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> anyways, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And for sure, and regards to Miami, I think my X factor would probably be, I don't know. I picked Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow. And I think as well, Tyler Harrow is going to be my X factor in the series. Yep. I think like, and I expect Jimmy Butler to show up and I know Andre Godala is going to show up. He's going to have that veteran's preference and he's going to like, I can see, I can see why you see him as an X factor. Cause he's, I think he comes off the bench, but Tyler Harrow for me is going to be that X factor. Who's going to have to step up really big and make big shots deep in games, uh, either be th- like a lot of deep threes or just threes as well to help, uh, beat the Lakers in my mind. And who is your pick? Who do you thinking? I'm see to be quite honest, I have never liked LeBron <laughs> and I will continue to not like LeBron. And to be honest, 
I'm not going to pick them to win the championship because I just don't want to see it, <laughs> to be completely honest with you. I'm going Heat in seven. Heat I'm going seven. Heat in seven. Heat in seven. So you're not going anything based off analysis, based off pure hate, pure, pure dislike. Well, well, okay, a bit of analysis <laughs> there. I think Iguodala is a very good matchup against a LeBron James because he knows, like, yeah. n- not even size-wise, really, but he knows the he has the experience going up against him. I think Bam Adebayo is a good defensive counter for... Anthony Davis, which is going to be a really interesting matchup. That's going to be a key matchup in my mind. Is going to be the play of Adebayo versus Anthony Davis. Um, but ultimately, I think the Heat bench is just going to outperform, and the play of Tyler Harrow is going to be important. The play of Andre Iguodala, and obviously Jimmy Butler is going to be important. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, if in my mind the Heat or the Lakers don't really have a guard for uh, Tyler Harrow, Jim, Jimmy Butler, yeah, in Jimmy my Butler, mind, yeah. because. Danny Green would normally be their defensive shooting guard, but do you really want to have him for that many minutes in in the game? Danny really? Green is if he's not, not the size of Jimmy well? Butler as well. Exactly. If anything, so, Lebr- like LeBron's not going to be like LeBron might cover him, might guard him a bit, but I highly yeah, doubt I don't that. Know who, I don't it would know who maybe the, be Rajon Rondo would probably be your best bet. But Rondo's very undersized. Even a Contavious Caldwell Pope would be undersized. You yeah. Even, I bet you. I bet you. If the Lakers really want to go unique, I bet you they put Kuzma on him. Kuzma. Kuzma yeah. would be a bit of a bigger defender that could get in his face. And maybe they decide to go we'll, with that. We'll have, to, but we'll have to see what happens. In my mind, Heat and Seven. What are, yeah. your, what are you going with? My prediction is, is now, granted as well, I did say a while ago when we did when we started to do, I think it was a couple weeks ago, we kind of like looked at the whole NBA playoffs. And I did say the Lakers weren't going to... I honestly thought the Lakers weren't going to win an NBA championship because we saw after the play in the bubble, we thought, okay, they're not there. And then somehow they're here and they're showing a dominated form. It's like LeBron James has just flipped the switch on to playoff LeBron, playoff Rondo is on. Anthony Davis is averaging 30 points or 20 points in the playoffs. He averaged like 30, point, he averaged like 30 points in the first two games against the... Um, who they play? I'm trying. Oh God! Against the uh, Nuggets, of course, when they played the Nuggets in the, for the conference finals, and I yeah. think that was a big thing as well. I think obviously they're going to be huge for the Lakers. And as much as I want to say it, I think the Lakers are going to take like LeBron James. There's a reason why he now granted he doesn't have the big be- best track record in the finals. He's three and six, but he has been to many NBA finals. He ha- he has got to- he has lots of experience. I think he's going to show up big. He knows the environment that he is. Anthony Davis is going to step up big and hopefully step up big because if he struggles, it's going to be tough for the Lakers. Uh, but I would say Lakers in seven. That's my pick. Lakers, Lakers, in, seven? And- Lakers right. in seven. Yeah. As much as like I've believed Miami Heat, you know the hype train is real. Hype train is real. And as much as I don't want to say LeBron James isn't winning the championship, I did say that before, and I don't like now that be changing the take. But I do think after seeing them go through this playoffs, the Lakers are the team to beat, and they are going to be very tough to beat four times. And that is why I see Lakers in seven. Already, this wraps up this segment of playoff predictions regarding the uh, previewing the Jays and Rays series, talking about X factors and the NBA Finals regarding Lakers versus Heat. That wraps up this episode of Season 2 on the Rise Podcast. You should follow our Instagram at Rise Podcast. Listen on, in on MidtownRadio.ca and visit our website on the Rise Podcast. We will see you on Saturday.